Tuesday, December 8th, and you're back on another episode of Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Trey Watson, joined as always by Tom Stevens. Tom, how you doing, buddy? I'm delightful, sir. How are you? Well, the cat's found we at least got a win on the gridiron, not not so much on, on the on the hardwood. That that was as bad a half, the second half of basketball as I remember seeing at least this side of Billy Gillespie. Thank God there was NFL games going on, so I could flip it around other things uh <laughs> well we'll uh let's let's get to our guest today tom we're uh, very fortunate to have back on the program the state senate majority leader our good friend damon thayer senator how you doing sir i'm doing very well i i just can't believe you guys didn't talk about my sparties beating duke in the champions classic last week all bbn fans can agree that anytime <laughs> duke it's a good day for all of us. Yes, a Duke loss is a good day for for everyone. Um, we will not talk about what Sparty did on on the gridiron this weekend. Oh, we're terrible. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 in a, we're in a five year rebuilding plan. But the main thing is we be, this year we beat that school from Ann Arbor whose name I shall not say out loud. Yes, I heard and Ann Arbor is something or other. I, I forget what I forget what that is, but. I am the new chairman of the Keep Coach Jim Harbaugh committee. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that that is like that experiment is likely to end here pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> let's get to some news here, guys. Uh, I guess let's, let's start, Tom, with just kind of uh, where we're at on, on the COVID front. Uh, a 90 year old woman in England to this morning will begin the first person. Uh, injected with the approved Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and, and it sounds like based on comments that have come out today from the FDA, it sounds like there won't be any issue with approval here in the U S to get, to get it uh, started going here. The Trump administration has said that they are ready to start uh, shipping and giving the vaccines as early as Friday afternoon. Uh, so, you know, we, we could be finally, kind of getting over this hump on this. And of course, once Pfizer gets done, Moderna's in the process of getting emergency approval. The Johnson Johnson trials are still uh, ongoing. That's the one that I'm most interested in because Moderna and, and Pfizer, their vaccines, A, you have to, they're difficult to store. They're harder to transport because they have to be at like negative 100 degrees like we talked about before. Um, but they also basically give you, uh, you know, the flu for a couple of days. I mean, you the reports are the side effects is you're you're not going to feel good for two or three days after getting those injections. The Johnson & Johnson one appears to be relatively side effect free. Uh, it, unfortunately, it's also the uh, of the three, it's the furthest away from being approved. Uh, they're, they're still in the kind of the late stage clinical trials. Uh but I think you know, good good news overall uh, on on the on the vaccine front. Yeah, cool stuff. I think I saw in one of those releases, right, where Kentucky's got what about one hundred and fifty thousand um, doses before the end of the year. Does that sound right? I think we got thirty five in the first round, thirty five thousand in the first round. Now, now, what I don't know, and Senator, you may know, is that thirty five thousand rounds of, of the Pfizer vaccine that we've got is that individual shots or is that two shot uh, two shot rounds? Because it's 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 two shots to, to do it. 
I do not know because Governor Andy this year doesn't communicate <laughs> for the topic to the General Assembly. We, we, will, we will get to that in length here in a few minutes. <laughs> I just took a shot. <laughs> um, and, uh, in big political news here on the home front, uh, you know, most, most people know uh, Senator Mitch McConnell has been in office since 1984. He's had two state directors in that entire time. He's had Larry Cox, who was with him in the county judge's office uh, when he was county judge Jefferson County, and he's had Terry Carmack. And he will now be getting a third state director as uh, Phil Maxson, a friend of the show, is uh, uh, leaving his post as chief of staff in D.C. for the senator. And uh, Terry Carmack will be moving up to to run the show in uh, in Washington, which means we'll be, we'll be getting a new state director. So, uh, you know, big kudos to Terry Carmack. Uh, I saw his, his daughter tweeting today about, I think she's maybe got her eye on going up to Washington. So she's excited. There could be two Carmacks in Washington soon. Uh, but I uh, know Terry, Terry's a friend of all of us, all of ours. We hate to see him lead the state, but uh, he's going to continue doing good work for the Senator in Washington. It's uh, going to be nice to have, it's going to be nice to have a, a line into leader McConnell's chief of staff. It's been great having a direct line to a state director. But after we win these two Georgia races and uh, Mitch gets reinstalled as majority leader with a 52-48 Republican majority, it's going to be great. Yeah, and, and I will say Phil, Phil Maxson, I've met with Phil a couple times up there, the, the outgoing chief, really good guy. Uh, he's from uh, Richmond originally, if I'm not mistaken, from Madison County. Uh, he's moving back home, according to the release, moving back home to raise his kids. I uh, hope to catch up to, with him when he when he gets back here. Uh you know the senator's got a uh, got a good eye for talent and really you know moves some some quality people through his office uh it, it at all levels up and down you know uh, Josh Holmes Chatterjee uh you know, there's there's been a lot of really really good people Billy really Piper people. Billy Piper yep Hunter uh, Bates yep I, I mean just a, a whole lineup of of mega weight political minds uh rolled through that office so uh good to see terry going up there though he's he's a friend friend of all of ours and uh i'm excited for him uh tom i don't have much more on the on the state and uh political news front did you have anything else you wanted to bring up only thing that jumped out at me last night as i saw where uh general chuck yeager passed away at a uh, I think he was 97 years old and as somebody grew up a uh, pilot and from a, a flying family. Um, and I guess what, when the right stuff came out and then read Jaeger's biography back in the day, that was always somebody that kind of looked up to the classic um, anti-authoritarian, you know, made it on his own back country guy. Um, so very sorry to, to read about that, but certainly a life well lived. And I know Damon, you wanted to bring up uh, an anniversary important in your life. The, uh, the 1976, the release of Hotel California. That's right. On this day in 1976, the Eagles released one of the greatest albums of all time, Hotel California. Uh, it was, as a serious fan of the Eagles, I can say that this was the band at its very best. Uh, Randy Meisner was still in the band. No, no disrespect to Timothy B. Schmidt because I'm a big fan of his. Don Felder had joined the band. Joe Walsh was in the band. And of course, Don Henley uh, and Glenn Fry. Uh, every song on that album is outstanding. And I saw them perform it live 
in early February this year in Atlanta at State Farm Arena uh, on their the begin the first show of their Hotel California tour, which is now you know halted until late next year. But uh, to see that whole album performed live, followed by another. 20 set greatest hits run over 30 songs uh, three hours that evening um, was awesome and I, I still listen to that album you know like two or three times a month so there we go folks we, we don't also ju- the day that unfortunately go ahead go ahead no no I, I know you, you were gonna say the day that john, <laughs> it's also the day that john lennon was shot. yes a very uh, sad day Senator, what do you think of these big deals? We've had a couple in the last week, right? Stevie Nicks selling her um, her book of music, and then I think I saw today Dylan. Where Bob Dylan just entered into a deal to sell all of his his book as well. Well, you know these these folks like Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan, they got to get the money while they can, right? Because they they have a bunch of people like me who are fans of that era's music. And, and really, you know, that, that genre of music is that it's most lucrative I, because I know how much I pay for concert tickets to see <laughs> all of these, these bands and musicians who are now in their 60s and 70s. We're the, you know, we're the generation that grew up with them and we have the disposable income to pay two and $300 for a concert ticket, which is kind of ridiculous, but I, I do it because it's one of the things I do. And, I said- uh, I'll I'll say this too. I I think I think their music is reaching an age now uh, where it's going to start requiring an expenditure of money to retain the rights. And so if that's going to be the case, you know, if you're going to have to go and do all the renewals and stuff for, for, uh, for the, for the rights to it anyways, why not sell it off and let somebody else handle the legal headaches on that stuff before, you know, things start rolling into in the public domain. Yep. Cash it in. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, You know, I'm pretty sure they're both set for life anyway, but uh, uh, you know, Stevie Nicks. Wow. What a talent. Got to see her with Fleetwood Mac a couple of years ago at the Yum Center. Unfortunately, uh, they they booted Lindsey Buckingham out of the band, but uh, Mike Campbell and Neil Finn did a great job kind of filling in. Mike Campbell doing the Michael, Mike Campbell, of course, from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He did all of the Lindsey Buckingham guitar work. And then Neil Finn from Crowded House, uh, he did all the, the Lindsey Buckingham lyrics in the concert. It was pretty special. Uh, I guess the coolest part, though, was when Mick Fleetwood did a 20-minute drum solo. <laughs> that was the bomb.com. I think I've identified if I'm ever on, uh, uh, what's it, let's make a deal, and I need to phone a friend for uh, my 1970s music lyrics question i mean i think i've identified the the call i need to make i'm your man so we don't we don't just give you politics in this on kentucky politics weekly we give you deep dives on fleetwood mac and the eagles so <laughs> this is a truly well-rounded show <laughs> um, everything but news let actually about, let, me, let me let me let me know when you want to talk about bob seeger <laughs> <laughs> I think that we'll go ahead and turn the page. Hey. Oh. <laughs> oh wow. Well played. <laughs> uh, 
Um, let's, let's take a walk down on Main Street, shall we? There we go. I, I guess one thing I did want to bring up, and Tom, I, you know, I still think that it might. This might be something that we might have to do a. You know, I, I've seen it on on other on other podcasts and stuff. Well, they'll do like a watch along where they'll kind of count down so everybody can sync up their their TVs and their DVRs together, and everybody can press play together, and and you kind of have a a, a group viewing and listening experience. And Tom, I, I don't know if we don't need to do the first ever Kentucky politics weekly uh, watch along with uh, a recipe for seduction, a lifetime original mini movie sponsored by KFC starring Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. Yeah. The casting director on this. I mean, wow. <laughs> really I impressive. It looks, it, it's, it's so bad. It looks like it's going to be really great. That is just so wrong in <laughs> so many ways. I thought it was, some cruel April Fool's joke. I do want to announce, however, I have pre-purchased my tickets to see Wonder Woman 1984 in theaters, people. That's where movies are meant to be watched. You know, I, the, the New York Times had an article about, uh, we'll kind of stay on this for a second, uh, about the move by Warner Brothers where they're going to co-premiere all their movies in 2021 between HBO Max and, uh, and the theater. And they brought up the New York Times brought up, uh, I guess, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas separately a couple of years ago, uh, both kind of came out, came out and said, we think that the future of of movie viewing is going to change and it's going to be more like going to see a, a play or a concert or something. You're most people will consume new movies at home through one of these streaming services. But, you know, there'll be significantly less theaters, but there'll be nicer bigger more amenities and you'll pay like 100 150 bucks to go see it where it you know becomes a an experience going out to to a movie much like you would go, go to a play or a concert versus just hey i'm gonna go catch the newest movie which if you're gonna do that you just do it on on netflix or disney plus or, or hbo max just kind of an interesting very interesting time in the movie industry with i mean some of it pushed by covid but clearly you know spielberg and lucas saw this coming several years ago Yes, and, and certainly COVID has accelerated that business model. And there's also, there's also rumor out there that the big streaming services really want to sort of crush the brick and mortar movie business model, which is sad. But, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so I, you know, I like the movie experience. Sometimes people tell me I'm like Clint Eastwood in, uh, in Gran Torino, you know, get off my lawn! because I, I still want to the way they're always done. But you know, I have a 70-inch TV with a sound bar, and I love watching movies and shows on that. Um, but I'm really tired of just consuming entertainment on my TV. And uh, I did go to see Tenet back in September. Unfortunately, it's a terrible movie. So I, I, uh, I'm waiting for Wonder Woman on Christmas day to be my you know post-covid uh movie viewing you know return to the cinemas well good uh yeah i have no idea how long it'll be till i make it to one and my wife is not uh i don't think she'd be a fan of me going to going to an in-person theater but uh you know especially for for some of the smaller theaters you know if you can get out and support your, your local theater please do it because they're they're hurting Driving around the circle in Lexington yesterday, I saw, or I guess Man of War, I saw uh, one of the old AMC's dollar movie, and it's just completely boarded up. It looks like downtown Louisville right now. Well, it, and then it, the, it, it did that. Well, that remember that one had switched to first run about two years ago, and yeah, but now now it's completely closed. 
Yeah, that that's the old Carmike Theater. Yep. That was taken over by Regal, and Regal has shut down completely. Uh, they, they haven't said when they're going to come back, but they haven't tried to come back during the pandemic. And um, but Cinemark has, uh, Movie Tavern has, um, and and so there are some places you can go. But it's you know back in September when I went to see Tenet there were four people in the movie theater and I, you know, my date and I were, were two of them. So pretty, pretty sad. You know, again, that's, that's an industry you haven't heard a lot about, but like so many have been absolutely decimated, like the concert industry, like the live sports industry, uh, you know, anything like that, big events, hospitality, tourism, all just decimated by the coronavirus. And, you know, Hopefully they all make comebacks, but I think you're right, Trey. Some of them are going to have different business models on the other side of this, and the the movie theater businesses among them that are that that are, that's going to have a completely different business model. Like movie tavern. Anytime I can go see a movie and people will bring me booze while I'm watching it, that's uh, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Pretty good wings. One of the one of the greatest business model ideas ever. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's get into. Uh, the, the whole uh, point for today's show, which is session 2021. Um, you know, last year was a strange session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I know, you know, last year was a strange session. This year is going to be a strange session. Um, I guess before we get into issues, the center, can you, t- can you speak a little bit as to kind of what you all have discussed uh, both internally in the Senate with the house through LRC kind of what you, at least at the onset, kind of what uh, listeners of the show, many of whom you know, typically have business before committees or, or, or at the General Assembly, kind of what, what they should be expecting both to experience if they come to Frankfurt and to see on, on TV as they try to follow, follow the proceedings. Well, get used to watching it on TV because there aren't going to be very many people allowed in the building to watch it live and in person. The galleries are going to be closed uh, the uh, uh, lobbyists and interest groups, people who wish to speak to their legislators are going to have to make appointments in advance uh, and only three people in an office at a time. I believe uh, the, uh, the, the, the Senate will use specific committee rooms that the House will not use and vice versa. Uh, there's not going to be loitering in the hallways or convening in the seating area, the seating lounge, like outside the Senate Republican leadership office. None of that. Uh, Groups are not going to be able to use rooms on the first floor uh, for um, gatherings, you know, where they do breakfast or lunch, things like that. So there's going to be a lot less contact, unfortunately, with constituents and citizens and groups it's going to it's going to be done completely differently and it's mainly you know to protect the employees of the LRC uh, three or four hundred of them who work in that building uh, as well as legislators etc we're not going to have uh, special guests and pages uh, in the Senate which is very disappointing for oh well, yeah the, the the king of the pages is going to be denied his uh his kingdom <laughs> yes, I, I was there. there when <laughs> was in the Senate. They actually passed a resolution naming me the Senate page King. 
<laughs> and uh, people always uh, like to compete with me because, you know, when you're number one, you know, people like to knock you off your perch. And I, I will say this, Reggie Thomas from Lexington, the new Democrat caucus chair, has done a pretty good job. I think he's had more pages than me the last couple of years. But we'll have our constitutional pages, but not, um, not daily pages. So it, it's going to look a lot different, unfortunately. I was hopeful that we could be back to normal or semi-normal by January 5th, but that does not appear to be the case. Was there ever any thought, I, I threw this out to a couple of House members and they they uh, laughed heartily at me, but was, it, was there ever any thought if, if things had stayed really, really bad or, or if they or if they take somehow take a turn for the worse, is there ever any thought of maybe like taking over the Capitol Plaza hotel complex for a couple of weeks and basically creating an, uh, a, <laughs> I see David's face, basically creating a, 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 a legislative bubble, you know, like the NBA, just have everybody in the, in the hotel and, and seal it up and get it done. No. <laughs> I, mean, I was just trying to think of creative ways to get it done if if uh, if things stayed bad. But yeah, I, I, I was. It was similarly said to, said to me by a couple of house members. I said, "You think any of these people are going to want to stay in a hotel for 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 multiple days, much less weeks, than any of these other people?" No. <laughs> All right. Well, the process out of the way. Um, I guess there's kind of two buckets to break things up into. All right, let's handle what's probably just by by force of events going to be the smaller bucket and and we'll we'll put everything and I mean everything is still going to be somewhat shaded by covid but let's let's put covid budget all that stuff kind of to the side we'll get to that in a minute what what are what are some things non covid related that you think we could you know are going to come up or, or, or are you guys going to try to just churn through and and get done with the business as quick as possible and kind of just stick to covid related stuff well, there's going to be a lot of COVID-related bills, liability reform and protections for businesses. Uh, the uh, One of the only good things about Bashir's executive order that we allowed him to do in Senate Bill 150 uh, was this whole cocktails to go. Uh, and I have a collection of empty plastic margarita bottles from my local Mexican <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> I think I think Tom is a Tom similarly experienced. <laughs> I think I uh, I think I have a pretty good collection of empty bottles uh, from Pepe's. They have outstanding margaritas. What what do you what do you to do? It's stumbling distance from my house. So, uh, you know, making that per a permanent part of the statute to allow bars and restaurants to have cocktails to go. I mean, this is, this is an area where uh, they've got a very good margin. You know, food, you don't have as good of a margin. Drinks, you do. So we want to make that permanent to be a, a part of their recovery, their permanent recovery, which is going to take a while. By the way, I noticed that I'm sort of rolling my Fs here. I should tell your listeners that I, I had to go to the dentist this morning to have a crown on a busted tooth you know, trying to get all this stuff done before session. And some of the, some of the numbness has not worked its way out of my, my mouth yet. So I'm not talking, talking <laughs> quite as well as I would normally like to. Um, and I look a little funny too. Thank God you're not showing the video because the left side of my face is drooping. I, well, I, I mean, look like, yo, you, always, look like the, you always look a little funny, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> your lunch. I mean, we're all friends here. I mean, I, I look, I look like the Jack the, the Jack Nicholson version of the Joker in the Michael Keaton Batman. 
And I'm sure some lobbyist out there listening is having a good, you know, good joke at that. <laughs> next extreme. Um, so, so there's going to be a lot of COVID related stuff, stuff related to executive overbreed, overreach because of COVID. But I'll tell you, one of the first things we're going to do is a promise a lot of us made in our campaign is we're going to pass right away what will be Senate Bill 9, Whitney Westerfield's Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And also there was another House version attached to that relating to Attorney General Powers dealing with these pro-life anti-abortion bills. I think the House is going to work on that and we're going to do the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. And, you know, we're going to get those down to Governor Bashir as quickly as possible, I would assume, since his bad judgment hasn't changed in the last 10 months. Uh, I, I'm assuming he's going to veto it and then we will come back, come back in and override it. So I'm, I'm standing in front of the mirror a lot, practicing the following phrase. Mr. President, I move for the final passage of Senate Bill 1, the governor's veto notwithstanding. Uh, that's, that's, that's the no override language that uh, Dalton Workman provides me with and I, I have a feeling he won't have to put that in my script I'll have it pretty much memorized yeah um, I, I think we'll see that a little bit uh, probably probably more than times. once yeah might see it a few times <laughs> now the the uh, bill you just talked about that's that's is that the one that kind of got stalled out last year yes yeah. we we, because we, we dropped seven days from the calendar, um, what, by the time the House passed it, sent it back over to us for concurrence with the, their attachment uh, on the AG uh, portion of the bill, uh, the veto override period had expired. So when uh, Bashir vetoed it, we could not override. So we're going we're gonna to get on that with alacrity and uh, <laughs> get that made law pretty quickly. Um, also... The, um, the budget, you know, we only did, and this is all COVID related, really. We did not feel like we could pass a budget for the second year of the biennium, not knowing the economic effects of COVID. So we only did a one-year budget that goes through June 30th. So we have to pass a second year of the budget and that will include the executive branch budget, the legislative branch budget, the judicial branch budget. Vote <laughs> 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 for Gump. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, also, uh, a transportation budget, which has several enabling bills that go along with it, the operating budget, the road naming bill. By God, I hope we don't spend a lot of time naming roads during this session, but that's about six or seven bills. Uh, when you say the budget, it really means six or seven bills. And so, so you've got the, the pro-life bills, you've got the budget, and then and on all, the, all, all the related budget bills, and then you've got sort of everything executive branch power related. Uh, a constitutional amendment proffered by the Speaker of the House, David Osborne, that would, if passed in 2022, would allow the General Assembly to call itself into special session uh, under certain circumstances. Uh, a bill that would limit uh, the days a governor could call a state of emergency and then require the legislature to be called in uh, and legislative approval necessary for the state of emergency to continue. Uh, there will be um, a bill 
relating to these emergency regulations and executive orders or might be one or two bills related to that. The liability reform bill that we're working on with the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce to give liability protections to businesses and schools and nonprofits, et cetera, who followed the COVID guidelines. Uh, and, and but let's say somebody got or, or claims that they got COVID, this is gonna protect them from the frivolous lawsuits that we're already starting to see uh, being filed. So lots to do and only 30 days to do it. And we, we're, we're working overtime with house leadership to kind of figure out the, the, the map the, the, the map forward to how we're going to do this. So I'll be working a lot with um, new majority leader, Stephen Rudy in the house uh, to figure that out, uh, to, to make sure that we get it all done and, and you know, what calendar changes, if any, might occur. But one thing I will say, outside of this, I don't see a lot getting done. This is a really big uh, body of work that we've got to get done in 30 days. The pro-life bills, the budget-related bills, and then everything sort of COVID, executive branch, it's liability reform, et cetera. I, you know, I don't see, of course, there will be other bills that pass, but I hope we can make this, to use this opportunity to go back to the original intent of a 30-day session, and that is to have it focused on a handful of issues that maybe were left undone, or like a situation that nobody could have forecast like the COVID uh, and deal with that. So, you know, I don't know that every little issue that every lobbyist wants to get done is gonna get done. You know, maybe you get your bill introduced. If you're lucky, maybe you get a committee hearing uh, and then we can keep talking about it in the interim as we prepare for 2022. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be out there uh, allowing a lot of that kind of stuff to go forward. The other thing that we do have to deal with, we might have to deal with this historical horse racing. Yeah. Uh, because if we, if we don't get something done on that, the, our signature horse industry could be facing a significant decline and potentially demise. Well, that's also money that's basically already budgeted, right? And you're, you're going to have to cover a, a, about a $15 million hole in the, in the budget if you, if you lose it. Yeah. And, and the thing, with historical horse racing, it's one of the few sources of income for the general fund that increases year over year over year. Uh, as, as the tracks continue to open up more historical horse racing facilities, we've now got one in Northern Kentucky, in addition to Oak Grove over in Christian County and Keeneland wants to build one down and uh, build two in Whitley County, one at a racetrack and one at a track extension in a hotel. So, you know, the, this is an increasing form of revenue that, you know, I would predict could double in the next couple of years uh, unless it gets stopped in its tracks by this ridiculous ruling of the Supreme Court. If I mentioned that the Supreme Court hasn't seen a bad ruling that it likes to make in the last few years. <laughs> well, at least they make everybody mad. <laughs> Do you think that's a, a look at the, like the definition of paramutual wagering? Is that is that the best way to tackle it, Senator? Probably unless unless it can unless there's a remedy that the court sort of outlined at the racing commission level, that's still a possibility. I think short of that. Yes. I think the general assembly will be asked by the horse industry to codify historical horse racing as paramutual. And it's, it, it should be a pretty simple fix language wise, just add historical horse racing in under the definition of paramutual wagering along with live racing, simulcast racing, 
historical horse racing. Do you, do you think having likely having to ask rural conservatives to vote on that this year, do you think that's probably the death knell for uh, expanded sports gaming uh, this session? Well, historical horse racing is more important to do. And I, I know some rural legislators who will support historical horse racing. They've told me to my face. Um, and, and I think you can make the argument for historical horse racing, say, look, we're not expanding gambling. We're just putting in statute something that's existed for 10 or 11 years. And, and by the way, with none of the negative societal impacts that people say come with expanded gambling. I'm a supporter of sports wagering. I think we should have it. I think it's kind of embarrassing that we don't have it. I mean, they even have it in Tennessee where they don't have horse racing for God's sake. So I don't know if there's a way to get sports wagering done uh, because HHR historical horse racing is of supreme importance. Uh, you know, sports wagering would be something nice to have, but we have to have historical horse. I got a couple of questions and then I kind of want to switch to talking about some of the executive power COVID stuff. Uh, I guess first question is what are you seeing and hearing on uh, budget projections? You know, I, I saw some stuff, uh, a couple months ago that it sounded like the numbers were, I mean, they're obviously not good, but they're, they're a little bit better than, than we expected them to be. Is that still true or, or kind of, kind of where are we as far as how much money we'll have to, we'll have to play with. I, I don't know any specifics I, uh, yet from the consensus forecasting group. I do know, yes, the numbers from late spring, summer, early fall were better than projected because the economy was starting to recover. But now with the Bashir shutdown that we're in, more people going on unemployment, uh, I think we're going we're gonna to see another hit to the numbers. And I'm afraid that this second shutdown is going to have a more long-lasting negative effect on the economy because you're seeing restaurants and other small businesses close for good. I mean, here in Georgetown, the fastest-growing city in Kentucky – We've already lost four or five restaurants for good, forever. And I need to stop saying words that start with F because the numbness is still affecting <laughs> my teeth. <laughs> when I try to say forever, it comes out with kind of a flittering F there. Senator, what are you hearing? No from more your F words, guys. <laughs> from, from your constituents as far on the unemployment front. Still, I, got, I got another email today from a constituent who has not been able to access her unemployment check. I think it's 75, 80,000 claims that still haven't been dealt with. And, you know, this is more Bashir administration incompetence as a result of his decisions. He shut the economy down, told everybody to apply for unemployment insurance, wasn't prepared to handle it. And, and then told a bunch of people, who he originally said could get unemployment that now you've got to send your check back because he told people you could use fear of COVID as a reason for not going to work and a reason to claim unemployment. Well, the feds say you can't do that. So now he's trying to do a clawback on that money. That's something else we might have to try to fix legislatively. And, and we've also got to deal with the, the, the financial effects on businesses who have to pay the assessments on unemployment insurance. I mean, this, this isn't just free money from, from heaven, manna from heaven. You know, Bashir and these liberals, they think this money just grows on trees. The, the money has to come from somewhere, and the money comes from Kentucky businesses. So we're working with the Chamber of Commerce on that to try to 
figure out a way if there's a, a, a procedure where we could stair step the assessments in over a certain number of years so they don't have this big jump in assessments all at once. Um, my, my next question, I'm going to come back to unemployment in, in a few minutes, but uh, my next question before we kind of moved on to, to really just COVID directly issues is uh, the uh, Brent Spence bridge, uh, modernization of the road funding formula. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm guessing that's probably a special session at the best 2022, maybe we're, we're probably not going to see anything done with that in the, in the, the short session this year. I think it's highly unlikely we will raise the gas tax. That's what you're asking. Mo- me. Mo- modernizing the road funding formula, Damon. You're not raising a tax. You're modernizing <laughs> the road funding formula. My constituents consider that an increase in the gas tax. And I don't think raising the gas tax during the coronavirus is a good idea. Uh, you know, I want to give credit where credit is due. The Bashir administration, under the leadership of Transportation Secretary Jim Gray, is doing a really good job repairing the Brent Spence Bridge and getting it open soon and keeping people informed on their progress. This is a model, and I, I want to give credit to former Lexington Mayor Jim Gray. A couple day, Within a couple days of it happening, he had a Zoom call with the Northern Kentucky Legislative Caucus to talk to us about what they were going to do and take questions. I'm just speechless. Couldn't Andy Bashir have taken a lesson from Jim Gray's Leadership 101 on how to act in a crisis and inform the legislature? And, and they, they tweet about it. They have social media updates uh, on the Brent Spence Bridge. This has been a bright spot for the Bashir administration, but not really. The, the only good thing Andy Bashir did is probably called up Jim Gray and said, I'm too busy because I've got to give my little lecture every day at four o'clock. So Jim, you just deal with this. Well, that's the best thing that Andy Bashir has ever done as governor is turn this over to Jim Gray because he knows how to handle a special build construction project. And he has shown great leadership. And I give credit to Jim Gray and I give credit to Andy Bashir for delegating that task to Jim Gray and not dealing with it himself because he probably would have screwed it up. So kudos I, to Jim Gray. I've, I've heard and a compliment to the governor. <laughs> I've heard good things uh, on on Secretary Gray from, from the Northern Kentucky business community as well, and it's handling on it. Uh, do, I mean, do you think this incident uh, with the bridge? Do you think this puts any uh, added pressure on the Northern Kentucky? Uh, not you necessarily, but the more kind of, especially in the House. Uh, kind of the, the river adjacent people put they put any more pressure on them to possibly uh get out of the way of maybe maybe tolling a whatever whatever the next the next stage of of bridge is no i don't i don't it's still not fair to make northern kentuckians pay 65 percent of the cost of a bridge that carries three percent of the nation's gdp across it every day when it's open all right uh let's go back to COVID stuff. Uh, all right. Executive powers. You know, I, uh, what, correct me if I'm wrong. We're one of four states in the country that do not have any sort of legislative oversight of executive, uh, of gubernatorial executive powers, right? Or gubernatorial emergency powers. It's something like that. I, I don't, don't, I don't know if the number's correct, but it's in the single digits. So I guess 
there, I know there's a whole bunch of different proposals out there. You, you think that the, the winner is going to be one where we bring the whole general assembly back. Cause I, I've always thought the, the smart idea would just would be to have base. Cause I know some States do it this way. Basically you have a standing committee, just like a reg review or contract review that never meets unless there is an emergency and the governor attempts to re up after 30 days, uh, a, 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 an executive order, then that committee, uh, springs into action, has a meeting, and the, the the executive order is not approved without the approval of that committee. But so you, you think what's going to probably passing is going to be a, an entire general assembly kind of call in, and, and and both bodies will will vote on it, or is it going to be a, a smaller committee type thing? So far, all the talk has been about bringing the entire general assembly back. So all 138 members are there expressing the feedback they're hearing from their constituents. I mean, it's, I don't think, go ahead. The, the, the problem is this pandemic and perpetuity state of emergency. We, we started out at 15 days to flatten the curve and now we're at 200 and some days to control every aspect of our lives. Well, and I, and I have a problem, even if this was governor Daniel Cameron or governor Ryan Corals, I have a problem as a constitutional conservative with there being no check and balance to an executive order. I mean, there, there is, I guess, in a court, but you know, the legislature is a co-equal branch. And the fact that you guys have zero say, regardless of what party or, or, or how the, that governor is acting, it just, it's not, it's not good policy. It's not. And we, we are a co-equal branch of governor, go, government. And I'm sort of sick and tired of us being treated like second-class citizens by governors. Matt Bevan did it too. And, you know, I, I, I like Matt Bevan. I supported 95% of his policies. I wish he had kept his mouth shut and not offended so many people because life would be very different today. But hey, that's where we are. But look, he looked, he looked down his nose at the legislature. He thought we were there to do his bidding. And it really, quite frankly, got old. And it's one of the reasons he lost, because quite frankly, a lot of Republican legislators were ambivalent about his reelection and didn't really do much to help him. I'm not among them. I, I campaigned for him and wish he had won. Um, but, you know, actions have consequences. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of tired of governors who just think the legislature is here to do their bidding. It's, it's not the case. It's not the way the Constitution was set up. And, you know, we, we took some steps to limit executive branch power, even when Matt Bevin was governor. And by the way, we, we overrode like seven or eight of his vetoes. And so even though we were of the same party, didn't mean we always, you know, got along to get along. We, we passed a new bill making it harder and longer period of time for uh, executive branch to enact administrative regulations. And that goes for the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state. The, the commissioner of agriculture, et cetera. Uh, so on, on the regulations one, one that's interesting, right? I mean, they've been able to, and during the course of the pandemic, the executive branch has been able to do an E-reg. They come out with an E-reg and basically at the moment in time where that E-reg would turn into a regulation, you'd have a public comment period. So the opportunity for the public to air a grievance. So think about like, you know, restaurant owners, restaurant association have an opportunity to publicly vent at least their frustration and get that information out. They just drop a new E-reg or an executive order and can guise it under that. I mean, is that something that you think there's an opportunity to, to make a change? Yeah, I'll give you a little scoop here on your podcast. Senator Steve West, who chairs the, the, uh, is the Senate chair of administrative regulation review is working on a bill that will be a priority bill to tackle that specific situation. 
All right. Um, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, it, I mean, it, you got you to play by rules. It, it shouldn't be a game as to who, who can figure out a, a loophole around it. It should be, you know, we're all trying to do work for the state. Um, I guess one, one question we did have for you that's kind of on this topic, uh, Senator, that we, we got from uh, – Tom got passed by a listener was uh, is the general assembly going to take any look at maybe, you know, the, the governor has the power to, like, reorganize his own cabinets and has the power to – set up state run exchanges and reopen connect and do all this stuff or y'all going to take any crack within any of this or in the future on kind of limiting some of his powers to, to unilaterally change the way that Kentuckians deal with government. Basically. It's a good idea. I doubt we'll get to it this session, but this ability of a governor to bypass the people's branch of government and and basically create an entire new healthcare exchange. It's just, it's mind boggling. And we've gotten so Orwellian in this country, in this state lately, that we're, we're gonna be years trying to fix this. Good news is I just got reelected for another four years and I'm ready to work. <laughs> um, un- unemployment, let's talk about that real quick. Obviously it's been a complete disaster. Um, you know, we had Andy Hightower on uh, back middle of the summer or so. And he said that there was a, a bill that had passed that allowed them, they put a little surcharge on the unemployment insurance uh, tax to help pay for modernizing the the system. Cause he said their, their software was pr- literally written in like, what we looked it up, Tom, the, like the, the backend software was written in like 1972. And uh, I think Andy said they're working on computers that were bought in, in the eighties or nineties. Uh, you know, I'm assuming some of that money has been used to pay these uh, the Ernst and young contracts to, to, to try to catch up. Uh, but it kind of, what, what do you think can be done? I mean, I, I'm not, and I'm not talking punitively as far as, you screwed this up, so we're going to do this. But what can, what do you think can be done to to fix? Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, what we can do to help help the the help the, the businesses. But what can be done to fix the unemployment system to make sure that something like uh, something like this doesn't happen in the future? We're going to have to take a deep dive into that and uh, work with the Chamber of Commerce and National Federation of Independent Businesses and the Small Business Caucus to try to, to get some input from them. And the reason why the, the system was neglected, uh, you know, Bashir tried to criticize Bevin for it, but shoot, our unemployment was at 4%. It didn't, you know, it didn't appear to be an urgent need. So nothing like a crisis to, you know, show you all the weaknesses in the, the constitution, the statutes, the regulations, you know, all of these things, they're, they're, they're going to need attention over the next couple of years. Well, and, and I mean, you've, you've already tackled one similar situation that just happens with government is you, you got some more, some more money to KREF for them to modernize their systems. And, you know, it's just, it's not sexy for an elected official to say, oh, we just invested $40 million in the back end computer systems at, at unemployment. And, you know, there's, uh, there's always another more urgent need, but eventually you get far enough down the line and, you know, you got a, you got a software system that was written in 1972 that, that can't handle the traffic that it's getting. And, you know, that, and that's not, that's not a, a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. It's, it's just a, a human nature thing. It's, it's a, it's a forgotten about expense that, you know, what do you want to do? Spend, spend less money on schools so you can, <laughs> you can do the backend software on unemployment. Just, and, and until, until there's a problem, it's not a problem. Well, it, it, you picked on something that's illustrative. 
yes, we finally passed my bill to make electronic filing of campaign finance reports the law. I've been working on that since early days in the last decade. And we gave KREF time and extra money to implement a new system. And it's completely bungled. <laughs> this, I mean, this, this, you, you can't even print out a report of, of donors on, on, a, on, a, on a report from a candidate. So I will tell you this, KREF and the vendor who developed the new fancy software that was supposed to work on an app on our phone are going to be called before a legislative committee sooner than later to explain why this system, which was supposed to make campaign finance more transparent for the public, has actually made it less. Good. And I'm going to get <laughs> off my soapbox because I'm really upset about it. <laughs> well, it was my bill. So I have my fellow legislators calling and texting me saying, how do I do this? I'm like, I don't know. I just passed the bill and told them what to do. They got to figure out how to do it. And they didn't. Well, you know, and Hightower, we had him on, we were talking about updating the unemployment software. He said that, you know, you definitely don't want to do it now because every state that's done it, it it's a series of cascade, cascading problems for three to five years. And it's just because you're, you know, you're trying to completely institute an entirely new software system. So that might be somewhat similar thing with KREF, but, you know, I, I don't think we need to like get the new software for unemployment next week because God is going to take time to train employees and all that stuff. But you know, hopefully we can do something to where God forbid something like this ever happens again, that, that we don't have people waiting, you know, six, eight months on a, uh, yeah, but a lot of that has to fall on Bashir. At some, at some point, the inability of the software ceases to be the excuse, right? At some point it's, it's leadership. You know, it's, it's now, it's now your problem. <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's your problem. part of that with KREF, right? I mean, it was still ostensibly, there's the relationship with the secretary of state's office that was in place before, which wasn't exactly good. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, um, I think it's a slightly different time now and they've, they've actually got this year coming up, right? Isn't this the no election year? Yes. Into? So that gives them some time. I mean, to, this is a good time to hit the whammy button. If you've got to blow the thing up, do it now. I'll just tell you, there have been, there are so many groups out there that are going to be dragged before legislative committees, pay rep and its vendor, <laughs> Uh, Fayette County Public Schools and Jefferson County Public Schools, the two biggest Thank school you. districts in the state. Who, students have not been back to school since March. Inexcusable. The health departments, the labor cabinet, and the alcohol and beverage con con commission, which are acting with police powers during the coronavirus. And, and, and you know, they're going to have to answer. We're, we're going to have tons of topics for legislative committees because all these groups are going to have to answer for their activities. Uh, I guess what, one other question that's been brought to me a couple of times uh, ha having to do with session and kind of different, look at it di different ways of giving legislature more flexibility to, to be able to deal with issues. Um, is there ever been a thought of, of passing something to where instead of having a signy die, you just, you have 30 legislative days in an odd numbered year. You have 60 legislative days in an even numbered year and you can use them whenever you want. You'd have to change the constitution because yeah. right now that's all in the constitution. Uh, anything else that you, that you think is important for listeners to note that to, to keep an eye on that might come up that, uh, you know, is of note for the 2021 session. I think I covered the big things we're going to have to deal with. I know another thing that came up in judiciary 
was the Bashir administration releasing prisoners with impunity during during the, the coronavirus. That was their excuse to let felons out of jail. And uh, Danny Carroll had a field day in committee. Uh, we, we may put Danny Carroll and Steve Meredith in charge of asking all of the tough questions on every topic that we could come up with because they're really, really good at it. Um, you know, I, there's going to be a push to make permanent some of these um, uh, pandemic election rules. Yeah. I ain't for them. I'm just starting, you know, right now. And I know people like it, but you can't always get what you want. And I'm not <laughs> for three weeks of early voting. I'm not for opening no. up the absentee portal in August. Uh, we might be able to do something on the signature cure, but don't don't look for the legislature to make big, bold moves on changing our election laws that were in place during the coronavirus. Uh, re- redistricting. I, I mean, I'm guessing that's probably 2022 at the best, maybe a special session at some point. I, I don't think we're going to get the census numbers in time to do it during the 2021 regular session. But I would hope that we could convince Governor Bashir to call us into a special session, uh, maybe next summer or early fall to do the districts, because we've got some house districts that are way out of whack because of population shifts in the east and west population decreases. there, moving between the interstates, I-65 and I-75, Bowling Green, Louisville and environs although people are moving out of Louisville for obvious reasons, um, Northern Kentucky, Lexington, and, and they're, you know, if you want to have one person equals one vote, we've got to do redistricting before the 2022 election and filing deadline in January of 22. Well, and we, and we can finally hopefully fix some of these debated, these counties that were debatably illegally split, like such as Scott County, where a former speaker of the house tried to get rid of our friend, the ag commissioner and, carve Scott County into four, four different house districts. We can, we can, th- sorry, three districts. We can, we can fix that. So um, I guess one more note before we hop off here, Damon, I don't know if this will make you happy or sad, but for the first, just announced since we've been on the podcast for the first time since 1917, Ohio state and Michigan will not play in football game <laughs> game called off. I, I knew that those people from Ann Arbor would chicken out. <laughs> on playing <laughs> because they, I mean, I mean, the Buckeyes put up 52 on Sparty on Saturday, and I, I think they were probably over under on how many points they'd score against the people from Ann Arbor has to be at least 35. And that athletic director up there in Ann Arbor, he's a wimp, and uh, I'm not surprised that they chickened out. <laughs> and, and, but it's going to hurt it's going to hurt ohio state's chances to be in the bowl championship series because i don't know that they're going to have the minimum number of games no it definitely will um any any uh, suggested questions you think we should ask your your counterpart uh in the minority when he's on the podcast thursday <laughs> morgan, <laughs> yes <laughs> you're, so you're, morgan, you're, you're, you're carpool morgan, karaoke my, buddy <laughs> morgan's my friend and uh, I look forward to our, the next installation of our Chamber of Commerce video. We're looking for good ideas. Um, I mean, I, I kind of feel sorry for him, but not really. I mean, he does lead the smallest Democrat minority in the history of the Kentucky State Senate. Um, you know, look, 
I love him like a brother, but I'm also going to have a little fun at his expense politically from time to time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Senator, thank you for coming on with us today for uh, another one of our legislative previews. And uh, uh, hope you have a happy holidays and uh, keep keep the horses running and keep texting me. Hopefully, eventually, you'll text me when one wins. But <laughs> Got one in Thursday night at Turfway Park. All right. There we go. And uh, I know Tom's excited because there's a, there's a guaranteed $400,000 uh, – Rainbow Six at Gulfstream tomorrow. He should definitely try to hit that now that the uh, Gulfstream races are going off on time under the new uh, leadership they've got down there. And by the way, everybody's favorite claimer, it's mandatory, who broke his maiden last month in Indiana, booked his ticket to Tampa Bay Downs, and he's down there training for his next start uh, at Tampa. All right. Uh, well, Senator, thank you for coming on. Uh, as always, you can get us anywhere that you stream podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, any, any of the major uh, streaming services. If you get us on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a review. And we'll be back with you on Thursday with uh, State Senate Minority Leader, Leader Morgan McGarvey on another Kentucky Politics Weekly.